Why don't you get your Bible and turn with me to Philippians chapter one and Luke chapter nine, Philippians chapter one and Luke chapter nine. And I'm going to continue the series that we've been in called new norm. And what we've been talking about is kind of establishing a new norm. And this was kind of based around um, really something that God spoke to me as we began this season of our church, the fall season. I just felt like God was speaking to me that as a church, we needed to go deeper, deeper in our relationship with God, deeper in our understanding of his kingdom, deeper into the presence of God. And, and I personally felt like, I don't know what it was, but I personally felt like last week, uh, when we got into the Sunday services, there was a spiritual shift. And then last night I felt again in the five o'clock, man, God's presence was just so intense. And then this morning I felt again, like, man, God's presence is kind of like, we've kind of shifted a little bit. And, and I stay sensitive to that because for us, it's really all about the presence of God and the kingdom of God. And, and, and I think that should be our primary focus. And so, and so we've just been talking about establishing a new norm that sometimes the American kind of Christian church kind of ideas aren't really maybe getting us where we need to go. And so, um, so we're, we're talking about some new norms and, and I, I want to uh, talk about that again today. In fact, if you weren't here last week or you missed any of the messages in this series, I would really encourage you just to go back and listen to those. I, I think that they'll challenge you, but also encourage you. And so this week, um, I, I want to read from Philippians and, and Paul is actually writing to the church of Philippi. Uh, Philippi was in the region of Macedonia. It was in Europe. It was actually in, in northern Greece. Um, and it's a church that Paul planted on his second missionary journey. And so it's kind of the church that he started. Um, and then he is now riding uh, the Philippians from prison in Rome. Um, and, you know, I was thinking about this. Uh, Paul wrote several letters to churches from prison. And, and those letters, like Colossians, like Philemon, like Philippians, those letters are actually in our New Testament. And I thought, man, had Paul never been thrown in prison, we might be missing part of the New Testament. Apply that to your life. Maybe you needed to go through it because God had to get something out of it. Okay, well, you pray about that. Anyways, um, so Paul's writing uh, to the Philippians and, and, and he's writing to let them know, hey, I'm doing okay. That's one reason. He's writing to help them with some issues in the church. Um, but what I love about the church of, of Philippians is they were a fervent, passionate group of believers that were very focused on the mission of Jesus. They, they just kind of had this take over the world kind of mindset. And I think that's, that's what I want our church to have. And I think that's what we really have is we're a bunch of crazy people that think, hey, by ourselves, maybe we can't do a whole lot. But if we all get together, we could actually take over the world because that's actually what God has called us to do is to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. And, and so are you with me? And so, and so I, I was, I was reading about this and I thought, oh man, this, this is, I want to use this text and I want to use it and I want to use it for that reason. And also because it makes, Paul makes some great points. Um, and so in Philippians chapter one, verse six, it is a very familiar, very famous, if you will, uh, verse. If you've read the Bible, been around church, you've probably heard this verse before. You may have claimed this as a promise, but Paul actually, he says this, I am certain. I love that word. I'll come back to it. I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished 
on the day when Christ Jesus returns. And now I want you to skip down to verse nine, if you will. We'll just pick up there in verse nine. It says, I pray that your love will overflow more and more. I mean, this is kind of my prayer for you. Like when I'm praying for you, I'm praying this kind of scripture for you. Some of the things that Paul wrote as his prayers for the churches that he started, I pray for you. I pray your love will overflow more and more and that you'll keep growing in the knowledge and understanding for I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. I love that passage of scripture. And so today uh, I want to talk to you in this series, New Norm. And here's, here's the new norm I want us to have. Okay. The new norm I want us to have is I call this message everyday believers, everyday believers. And, and if you're going to go to, to sleep because you've been working all night or just because you can't ever wake up in the mornings and you didn't get enough coffee, then you may just want to write this down and, and I'll eventually come back to it. And that is that when it comes to following Jesus, when it comes to following Jesus, we cannot follow Jesus as a weekend fan. We have to follow him as an everyday follower, right? If we're really going to live the life that God has called us to and do the things that God has destined us to, we can't do it as weekend fans of Jesus. We have to do it as everyday followers of Jesus. And so with that in mind, and Paul's talking to the Philippians, I want you to write a few things down. And so if you're taking notes today, uh, you can write these down. If you're on the YouVersion app, my notes are available and you can type them down and email them to yourself. And if you're not taking notes, I want you to write these things down. Um, <laughs> here's the first thing I want you to write down that Paul says, and listen, listen, I'm going to say this. Don't be offended. All right. Don't be offended at point number one. <laughs> you're like, I don't know. I can't tell you if I'm not going to be. No, you can just choose. I'm not going to be offended. I want you to choose it right now. Come on, choose it. All right. Because point number one is this, is point number one, and this is what Paul tells the Philippians, hey, you're not there yet. Now, don't be offended by that. that that's, not, that's not an attack. That's a spiritual fact. Because in verse six, Paul says, I'm certain that the work God has started, he's going to complete. And all of us are in that process somewhere. Like, like for most of us, and maybe you're here and you've never believed in Jesus and, and you're not in that process yet. But, but for, for the rest of us who have professed faith in Jesus Christ, we're in that process somewhere. We're somewhere between starting the good work and completing the good work. And so I, I hate to tell you this, but Paul says we will be at the completion of that work when Christ returns. So Paul's kind of saying, hey, this is when Paul, in, in his own words, said, hey, I press on towards the mark of the high calling. In other words, Paul said, I'm not there yet either. And I can tell you as, as the senior pastor of this church and someone I, I like grew up in church, like I was in church the Sunday after I was born. Because in those days, if you didn't show up for a service, you had backslidden and you were going to hell. And my parents didn't want my first weekend on earth that I'd be backslidden and going to hell. So they made sure they got me in church so that nobody had to burn in hell that day. And so, and so I, I've grown up in church right? I've read the Bible. I've done all those things, but here's what I can tell you about me. And I can also tell you this about you, but for me, I can tell you I'm not there yet. In fact, we grew up in the church I, I grew up in. I don't know if you ever heard this song, but we used to sing this song. He's still working on me to, to make me what I ought to be. And, and then I didn't get this lyric, but this is how it went. It took him just a week 
to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. And then it says how lovely and patient he must be. He's, he's still working on me. And I'm like, what are you saying in this song? It's like God can make a universe in seven days, but he's still having to work on me. You know, I've been at this years. <laughs> of course, then I thought, well, the universe um, didn't resist. <laughs> the universe kind of cooperated with him. Anyways, you can apply that however you want. But, um, but here's the thing. I just want you to embrace it. And the only people really that can't embrace this, I think, are the religious people that they're like, no, man, I like read my Bible and I can quote half of it. And like I prayed and I led a life group and I gave an offering and I'm more holy than anybody else. And so I'm really like, okay, I'm where I need to be. No, you're not. You're not there yet. All right, don't, don't be legalistic and don't be religious. Let me just help you with something. And, and listen to me. Here's what I know. You'll never move forward until you embrace the fact that you're not there yet. Like I went to, I went to church with a bunch of church people that, that were just mean. Like they needed to get saved. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we needed to have a line of just exercising demons because they caused so much trouble because they wouldn't embrace the idea that, hey, we're not there yet. Right? And, and, and so... So with that in mind, and maybe we could all be honest now, and, and with that in mind, let me, just, let me just ask you a question. It's a very simple question that I want you to kind of contemplate, that when we talk about our spiritual journey, our walk with Jesus, let me just ask you, how's your spiritual journey going? Let me ask you another question. Is it going anywhere? Right? Because maybe today, maybe today, this is what I found. There's probably people in here and you'd be like, man, it's going so good. Man, I'm like on a Jesus high. Man, I'm feeling good. Like I joined a life group and God just had this breakthrough. And listen, I hope, man, that's what I'd love for everybody is that, man, you feel like you are moving forward. But here's what I know. There are times and seasons when we don't feel that way. And and for everybody in this room, we're going to experience times where we don't feel like we're moving forward. And here's what I want you to say. It's okay. That's okay. Like don't panic. Because in this room, here's what I know. There's probably some people who feel like, man, I'm having revival, man. I am just, I am moving forward with God. I mean, God's just giving me dreams and visions. Angels come and sing me to sleep at night, right? I mean, you're just, I mean, you're just, and then there are people that, like, number one, there are people in this room that you feel stuck. And then there, let me say, there are people in this room that you're stuck and you don't know you're stuck. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Um, I, I have a, a truck. It's a four-wheel drive truck because that's the only kind of truck that makes sense to me. Like, if you have a two-wheel drive truck, I'm praying for you. <laughs> and I don't mean that. Don't send me an email. It's okay. But the only reason to get a truck is so you can run over stuff. And sometimes you need to run over it with all four wheels spinning. And so I have four-wheel drive trucks, and, and I had this four-wheel drive truck, and I got it stuck. And if you've ever gotten a truck stuck then you know what I'm talking about. You know what's interesting is when you get that thing stuck and like it won't move. Do you know, do you know what your first instinct is when you first think you're getting stuck? Push harder on the accelerator, right? That motor RPMs jump, wheels are spinning, mud's flying, right? But you're still not moving, right? There's a lot of activity, but no movement. That's kind of what being stuck looks like. See, when I'm talking about being stuck, I'm not asking you, are you doing a lot of religious activity? I'm asking you, are you moving forward? Are you growing? In other words, are you still responding and reacting to people in situations the same way? 
Are you still going around the same mountain of what you said you weren't going to do? Are you still in the same relationship God told you to end six months ago? Oh, well. <laughs> My God, he's preaching now, Ethel. <laughs> are, are you still doing the same thing you said you weren't going to do this time last year? Right? I'm not asking, is there activity? I'm asking, is there movement? And that's what it means to be stuck because you can be stuck. And here's what I know about being stuck. When you're stuck, trying harder doesn't work. Like this is what we think. Well, I just got, I got to pray harder. Well, that's good. But sometimes that's not what gets you unstuck. You know what I found is when your truck is stuck and all four wheels are just spinning and dirt and mud's flying and you keep pushing on it. You know what I found? You can push on the accelerator till the axles sit on the ground. You still didn't move anywhere. You burn a tank of gas, right? Blew out an engine, whatever, but you still didn't move anywhere. Do you know what you have to do to get unstuck? You have to do something different, right? You have to like get a piece of lumber or a log or a board or get a jack and put something under a tire, right? You got to get another truck with a big chain. You have to do something different different. And so here's what I'm saying. If you've got a lot of activity, but you're not seeing any movement, here's what I'm going to tell you is you got to do something different. If you're stuck, it, it also there are people in here and, and you're lost. And here's what it means to be lost. I don't know where I am. I don't know where I'm going. Like I didn't know God had a plan for my life or I didn't know what God's plan is, or I don't know what God's plan is. And, and because I don't know where I'm at, I don't know where I'm going. And here's what I'm saying. If you feel lost today in this whole Christianity, believing in Jesus thing, like I don't know where I fit and I don't know where I belong. Here's what I want to tell you. Don't be like a man. Ask for the directions. You understand what I'm saying? Every woman in here just had revival right there. Ooh, Jesus, say it again. Oh, Jesus. Shoo. I know you did. You have revival. You're punching your husband. Right, don't be a man. Ask for direction. This is why we do first step. It's coming up in just a couple of weeks. First step. You should be there because we believe there's leadership in every person and we're going to help you get connected and understand where you're at and understand where you need to be going. And so if you're lost, ask for directions, right? And most importantly, ask God, like, God, what is your plan for my life? Where, where do you see me at? You know, God, the Holy Spirit actually is our, he's our guide through this thing called life. And so maybe you're stuck, maybe you're lost, maybe you're just frustrated. Maybe you're frustrated because you're like, man, I tried that tithe that didn't work. I came to prayer meeting, didn't work. I prayed, nothing changed. I read my Bible. Listen, listen, here's what I want, I want you to know. We all feel that way at times. We all feel that way at times. But you know what I've found out? That, that the kingdom of heaven is like a seed. And sometimes it just takes seeds a little while to germinate. And sometimes we're really, we're really bad about digging up seeds before they've had a chance to blossom. And I've sat down with people before, and, and they've, they've said, yeah, for the last X amount of years, I've lived for myself, and I've done all these things and acted these ways, and you know, I've, and, and, and now I've been saved for a month and, or six months and, and it doesn't look like it's working. And here's what I had to sit down and teach them from Galatians chapter five is that, that, that God said, whatever you sow, you reap. And we talk a lot about that that's money, but that's not the context of that verse when Paul's talking about it, even though I think there is a spiritual law and it works on a lot of different levels. Um, what I've had to tell people before is, hey, you sowed 20 years of bad seed. 
And that is going to produce a harvest. And you're now walking in the harvest of 20 years of bad seed. You've sown six months of good seed. If you'll just keep sowing good seed, you're going to get a good harvest. And the old harvest is going to come and go. It's going to die out. Right? And so sometimes if you're frustrated, let me help you with this. If you're frustrated, you're like, Christianity doesn't work, and I started tithing, and nobody paid off my house this week. Here's what I want you to understand is uh, God's not a game show host. And, um, right? And, and he doesn't have spiritual lottery. God says, hey, you be consistent and you keep moving towards me and you draw near to me and I'm going to draw near to you. And you sow the right kind of seed and you're going to get the right kind of harvest. And sometimes we just need to understand that, hey, like Paul said, hey, I'm not there yet, but I'm just going to keep pressing on and I'm going to keep pressing on. And here's what I want you to know. If you're stuck, if you're lost, if you're frustrated, I think today's message can help. But, but you just kind of have to embrace that idea that, that, well, I'm not really there yet. And if you can embrace that idea that you're not really there yet, then here's the second point that you might want to write down that Paul is confident in and I'm, I'm completely convinced of, and that is that you can get there. Like, I'm not where God wants me to be, but here is, here's the truth of God's word and the grace of Jesus is that you, you can actually get there. Philippians 1.6, I, I love this phrase, and I want to show you this phrase because Paul said, I am certain. Now, some versions say, I'm convinced. I'm fully confident. Like, for for Paul, he's saying, hey, this is settled. This is settled. He's like, it's settled to me. Now, watch this. He doesn't say, I'm certain that you. Like, this is good news right here. Like, this is grace news, which is always good news. Right? The goodness of God is the grace of God. And Paul said, I'm certain. And he didn't say that you. He said, I'm certain that God. Here's what he's saying. I am completely convinced that God has started something in you and by his grace, God will complete it. In other words, Paul said, this is how I know you can get there because God's going to keep working. I've found in my life, and I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but I have found in my life, there are times when I'm really not working on me. There are times when I'm really not trying to move. There are times I'm frustrated. There are times that, that, that I'm lost. There are times that, that I'm stuck. And there are times like I just want to stay stuck. I'm tired. It's not working. I, I, I'm a little bit worn out. And here's what I found. It. Even in those times, even those times, it's good news and it's bad news. It's bad news because when you sign up and you, you express faith in Jesus and you're like, God, I want your plan for my life and I want you to use me, God goes to work and he never takes a day off. And even when you stop working, he just keeps working. And that's bad news and good news. It's good news because if you give up on you, God won't give up on you. It's good news because if you stop working, God won't stop working. It's good news because God will not give up and will not quit. But it's bad news because God will not give up and God will not quit. And that's why God keeps putting you in the same place, in the same situation, around the same people. Because God's like, you can quit, but I'm not. You're going to deal with this. I quit my job and found out my new boss is the same as my old boss. Hmm. (laughs) It's the thing, it's good news and it's bad news. And that's what Paul's saying because of the grace of Jesus. In fact, Paul knew what it was like to experience opposition. In fact, um, he told the Corinthians, he said, um, that, that, that he had this thorn in the flesh and, and I've heard a lot of theological debate on what the thorn in the flesh was and some people say that Paul had a, a sickness, and I can just tell you for me it, that doesn't even make sense contextually, theologically, or scripturally. 
um, because I, because he said it was a, a thorn in the flesh that God had sent. And if God murdered his son to pay for our sickness, then he would have to be bipolar to give us sickness to help us serve him. Like that, that's not a good God. That's a mad God. Are you with me? And so, but what he said is it was a messenger from Satan. And here's what I really think. In other words, he had people who were opposing him. And a lot of that was verbal assaults. Now you could only understand this if you were a pastor for like 24 hours. So let me help you with this. What he was saying is I've got some opposition and it's some people running their mouths and they're causing me lots of problems. And I said, Hey God, you need to deal with them. Hey God, you need to deal with them. And here's what God said. You know what? I'm going to let them talk because it does something in you. You've been praying for God to shut people up. And he's like, Oh no, no, no. Because as they keep talking, it keeps bringing to the surface what I need to get out of you. Because you see, when you're squeezed by your boss and that vomit comes out, that vomit doesn't come out because it was in your boss. That vomit comes out because it was in you. God just needed your boss to show you what was really in you. My God, are you hearing what I'm saying? I'm trying to help you. About to shout myself down. And so I found God's put me in situations sometimes just to reveal what was really going on inside of me. But here's what Paul said. He said, you know what? God told me this. My grace is sufficient. And that it's really only in your weakness that I really get to see the strength of God. God's strength overwhelms my weakness. And that's why, that's why I can get there because of the grace of God. Because even when I'm weak and I'm tired and I'm stuck and I'm frustrated and I'm lost and I don't want to go on anymore, God's like, I'm going to keep working. I'm going to keep pushing. He's like the personal trainer that won't shut up, right? I'm just going to keep, hey, I'm going to keep prompting. I'm going to keep putting you in gross situations. You know, here's what, here's what Paul actually says. He says, God will always show you your next step. He'll, he'll show you what you do, need to do next. Like if you're lost, if you're frustrated, if you're stuck, here's the great thing. God is not going to leave you there. Because he's working in you and he'll show you what's next. Look at what Paul said uh, in verse nine. He said this, he said, I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. In other words, God's going to keep revealing some things to you. Paul said this to the Ephesians. He said, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be open. Did you know your heart has eyes, Right? Like, this is probably how you got married. Like, you saw him, but your heart saw him. Right? Like, you saw him, but then your heart's like, Ooh, you know, and because your heart had eyes. And Paul says, your heart has eyes, and, and, your, and your heart needs to see. Because the heart is the epicenter of belief and faith, not the mind. You do know that, that faith comes from your heart, not your mind. Like, science has proven that, that when the Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he, there's like this cluster of neurons in your heart that actually can hold on to thought and belief. That following Jesus is not about what I think in my head. It's about what I believe in my heart. And Paul said, I'm praying that the eyes of your heart be opened. What? So that you can know what the hope of your calling is. In other words, so you can know what you're supposed to do so you can move forward. 
So God, God always shows us our next step. Can I, can I help you with something? The secret of following Jesus closely is seeing Jesus clearly. That's what Paul's saying. You need to grow, grow, you need to grow. And here's how you're going to grow. You got to see. I've got to see more clearly. The eyes of my heart have to be open. Why? So I can see the secret of following Jesus. You know why people get just saved enough to go to heaven, but they don't change a whole lot because they haven't seen Jesus clearly. And they think Jesus is trying to stop my fun. He's trying to keep me from living life my way. He's trying to control. He's a control freak. He's trying to take away my fun. He's trying to take away my choices. And, and so what they say is essentially my plan for me is better than his plan for me, but I don't want to burn in hell. So I'm going to get close enough to Jesus that I can, can, can say I'm, I'm a believer, but I'm not going to surrender all of me because I believe my plan for me is better than his plan for me. And if you believe your plan for you is better than his plan for you, it's because you haven't seen Jesus clearly. So you can't follow him closely. Right? And that's what Paul's saying. I want you to see him clearly because I want you to follow him closely. See, getting where God wants us to be is about seeing more of him, not doing more for him. Like, can I tell you that? It's the whole difference between um, relationship in the kingdom and religion. See, religion says, if you want to follow Jesus, you've got to do more for him. And, and what Paul's saying, no, you got to see him more clearly. So what's this? You can do more from him. See, there's a difference in doing things for God and doing things from God. There's a difference in doing things for approval and doing things from acceptance. Are, are you with me? And, and so here's what Paul's saying. You can get there, but you're not going to get there necessarily by trying harder. You're going to get there, listen to this, by surrendering more. Right? The, the way I take next steps and the way I move closer to Jesus is I just surrender more of me. And then I surrender more of me and I surrender more of me and I, I just keep moving towards him by giving up more of me and accepting more of him and what he wants for me. And so Paul is confident. He's confident that God will keep working in them to draw them and confident that they will keep taking their next steps as they see him more clearly. And so point number one, you're not there yet. Point number two, you can get there. Point number three, if you're going to get there, you must take your next step. Um, several years ago, I don't know, it was about three years ago, I came back into an elders meeting and I said, guys, you know, for us, when we when we began the church, it wasn't about having another church and, and it, it wasn't about, it, you know what it was about? It was about the kingdom and about people and about watching people grow and achieve their purpose and connect to God and connect to their purpose. And, and what I realized is that Jesus didn't call us, you know, honestly, like the reason we're here is he has called us to expand his kingdom, Right. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So he's called us to expand his kingdom. And, and the way that we do that is we disciple people. And so he said, go and make disciples, not converts, not fans. Go and make followers. And so we had this idea that we would create this thing called next steps. And we would start normalizing the idea that you always have a next step to take. And, and on our website, you can click on next step. And there's like 12 next steps. And they range all types of parts of the Christian life. They were all chosen very specifically 
because I feel like holistically that, that works you into a process of being a disciple. But the 12 are not all. In other words, if you've completed all 12 of our next steps, then at that point, you should be sensitive enough to the Holy Spirit that he can tell you what your next step is beyond that. In other words, I've done all 12. I'm still taking next steps, right? Because I have to grow just like you have to grow. And so we decided to normalize this idea that you always have to take your next step. Like this is a, a discipleship um, system, really. It's a discipleship model that if I'm going to follow Jesus, there's always a next step to take. And when I, t- when I stop taking next steps, it means I am not growing. And so what Paul is telling them is the same thing that I'm telling you is that, hey, if you're going to follow God, you, you have to keep taking your next step. If you're going to get to where God wants you to be, you don't do that in a day. You do that one step at a time. God called me to pastor this church when I was 17 years old. I don't think you, had, you would want me to pastor you when I was 17 years old. I wouldn't want to pastor me when I was, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it was... Like, no, but I, I just took next steps and I just kept taking next steps and I finally got to where I am now. And now I just keep taking next steps for, for where God wants me to go and where God wants me to even lead our church. Our church has next steps. Paul says this in verse nine. He says, uh, I pray, <clears throat> I pray in your, that your love um, will overflow more and more. Philippians 1 verse 9, I pray your love will overflow. Why is that important? Because love is really kind of the baseline, kind of the, the encompassing idea of the nature of God. And, and I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but the Bible says God is love, right? God is love. And so the reason that God, um, you know, is peace is because God is love, right? And the reason why God expresses joy and the reason why God is patient and the reason why God is kind because God is love. And so what he's saying is, I'm praying that you're going to look more and more like God. And, and, and how am I going to look more and more like God? Well, I've got to keep growing. Well, how am I going to keep growing? Well, I'm going to keep taking next steps. I'm going to keep going on to what God has next, next for my life. So Paul is confident in the Philippians that they're going to get to where God, he's like, I'm convinced. And here's why I'm convinced. Number one, because God's going to keep working. And number two, because you're going to keep taking next steps. Like I'm convinced in God's power, but I'm convinced in your resolve as well. Because here's the thing, God's always going to keep working, but we expedite the process when we start taking next steps, right? And so Paul's saying, I believe you're going to keep, you're going to keep taking next steps. And, and here's the thing, I, I know some people say, well, well, why do I need to keep growing? Like my life's okay. Like I've accepted Jesus and I'm kind of living my life and I'm showing up at church and hey, that's all good. Like, like I'm happy where I'm at. Why, why do I need to to keep growing because really we're on a spiritual journey. And, and the way that this culminates, believe it or not, is not with us being fat baby angels with togas and harps sitting on clouds. That's really not the aim of this. The aim of this is that Jesus is going to come back and we're going to rule and reign with Jesus and ruling and reigning with Jesus starts the day after you get saved, not the day after you go to heaven. According to the Bible, like, I didn't make this up. Are you with me? And so, you know, when he's saying all authority is given to you, go into all the world, declare the gospel of the kingdom, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, all of those statements are things we do today, not after we die. And so Paul's making it very clear. I love this passage to the Philippians. Watch this. Paul makes it very clear. This, guys, this is why you, this is why you keep growing. You keep growing. And in verse 10 and 11, he says, for I want you to understand what really matters. Like, 
Point number one, you keep growing because it's on your spiritual journey and growing in your spiritual journey that you actually understand what's really important. Like it, it should change. Like if I'm following Jesus, my value system changes, my vision changes, what's important, the pursuits of my life change, right? In other words, I start seeing what really matters. Like I think the biggest travesty in the world is being successful at the wrong thing. I'm successful at what doesn't matter. That's not, that's not, that's not winner, winner, chicken dinner. That's no good. And so I said, I want you to understand what really matters so that you will live pure and blameless lives. Do you see that? When I understand what matters, it translates into the way I live. Are you reading this? I got this out of your Bible. Like I didn't make this. I didn't write this this week. Like, Hey, this would be a great verse. No, I got it out of your Bible. That you may be pure and blameless and live, that you may be pure and blameless or live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always, watch this, be filled with the fruit of your salvation. In other words, hey, if I'm really following Jesus and I'm really growing, my life produces fruit. Like, isn't that what we all want? Is that not success that we produce fruit? And that fruit, keep reading, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus, for this will, watch, bring glory and praise to God. In other words, when, when, when I decide to keep growing and taking my next steps, I'm going to know what matters. I'm going to produce fruit, and it's going to bring glory to God. When I stand before him, he's going to be like, well done. You live for what mattered. You produced fruit. I was glorified. Now enter into your reward. That day will happen. You will stand before him. And that's what Paul said. Hey, you're going to stand before him. So I'm praying you're going to keep growing. So you know what matters. So you produce fruit. So you bring glory to God. Because that's why we're all created. To bring glory to him and produce fruit. To live, what, live a life that really matters. And that's why we keep growing. And, and Paul said, if you're going to keep growing, you have to keep taking your next steps. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but I didn't create next steps. Like I went to our elders several years ago and said, I got this idea, do next steps. And we built a next steps wall and you can stop by there and you can click on there and it will help you choose a next step. If you're in a life group, we're asking everybody in life groups to take a next step this semester and identify what that is. And so your leaders are going to be talking to you about that if they haven't already, because we're here to help people grow and be the people that God created them to be. Like we're not here playing some kind of religious churchy thing. That's, that's just a waste of everybody's time. This is not a religion. This is a kingdom. Right? Like we're, we, we, the Bible says that we weren't translated into the religion of God. It, it says we're translated into the kingdom of his dear son. Like we're expanding a kingdom. We're not expanding a religion. Religion sucks. Let's just say it as it is. Oh my God, you hear what he said? Yeah, I said it. Because that's, we needed a strong word to explain it. No, Jesus. Just pray for me. Remember, I'm not there yet. <laughs> but Jesus is actually the one that invented next steps. Luke chapter 9. Um, Luke chapter 9, verse 23 and 24. This is what Jesus said to a crowd. He said, if any of you wants to be my follower. Notice that Jesus, there were fans, but he said, if you want to be a follower. There's, there's a difference, Right? Um, like, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of 
certain musical artists, but I don't even follow them on Twitter, right? I'm not conforming to their teachings and their ways because they're all nuts, but they produce good music. <laughs> so anyways, but it says, then he said to the crowd, if you, if you want to be a follower, you have to turn from your selfish ways, watch this, and take up your cross, what's that word? Everyday believer, right? And follow me. Look, now think about this. If I said, if I said, um, I want you to follow, follow me, right? Mike, hey, come up here, Mike. This would be easy. All right, so I'm going to be Jesus because I look so much like him. Here, just come on up here. And this is going to be Mike because he looks just like Mike. And, and I'm going to say, okay, Mike, I want you to follow me. Ready? Do you see what happens? To follow me, he has to take steps. Wouldn't it be weird to come back over here and we'll do like some church people do? Now, I'm going to say, follow me, and I want you to take one step and then quit, okay? Follow me. We laugh, but that's how some of us relate to Jesus. Like, well, I got saved. That's good enough. I'm stopping here. Thank you, Mike. Can you all give Mike a hand? He did a great job. He did a great job at being Mike. Woo! Anyways, um, but, but you see what I'm saying? Sometimes that's how we follow Jesus. Like, well, I'm saved. And Jesus is still walking, saying, hey, follow me. Hey, follow me. Hey, follow me, follow me, follow me. You know, it's, it's kind of funny. But it's kind of true, and that's kind of scary, right? And what Jesus says is, hey, if you're going to follow me, here's the first thing that you're going to have to do. If you're going to follow me, you have to give up your way. Now, can I just be honest with you, and can we be honest with each other? That's not easy, because we like our way, right? But can I ask you a question that I ask and the staff laughs at me because if, if I end up in a counseling meeting and someone is telling me why it's, you know, they can't do something because everybody else has fought or whatever, and they're telling me why they haven't moved forward or whatever, and, and I ask this question, so how's that working for you? Because you're in a pastoral care meeting get, getting care right now. So how's that work? So here's what I'm saying is when you cling to your way, how'd that work out for you? Because, because here's what Jesus says. You want to follow me? You got to give up your way. But then he tells us why. He tells us why. Because he says, your life in your hands will be lost. But your life in my hands cannot be lost. And so if you're trying to save your own life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life, you're going to save it. So he's saying, hey, your life in your hands is going to be lost. Like, doesn't that kind of describe our life before we met Jesus? I guess kind of a waste in some ways. Then we came to Jesus, and now all of a sudden things started clicking because we put our lives in his hands, and whatever is in his hands cannot be lost. And so if we're going to follow Jesus. I think we need to understand that, that we actually have to, to give up our own way. And then if we follow Jesus, we need to understand, embrace yourself. We need to understand that following Jesus is not being a fan of his on the weekend. But it's about taking steps and being committed to him every day. Like we will not survive as followers of Jesus if we're just fans on a weekend. Like if the only word you get comes from this pulpit, there's no way you can win. 
right? Because you can't win. Even though I use a lot of a scripture, and a lot of text and talk a lot and talk really fast and talk too much. It's still not going to be able to help you unless you're following Jesus every, every day. And, and I think sometimes I think, can I just, can I just be honest? Following Jesus, we need to understand it's just like taking the steps. Following Jesus is not a once-in-a-lifetime commitment. It's an everyday decision. It's not like, well, I made this decision or I made this commitment. No, it's, it's every day I make that decision, every day. And I think one of the biggest fallacies, brace yourself, of the American church is we've kind of we've taken evangelism to a very watered-down kind of thing where we're like, hey... So you kind of have two choices. Um, you can burn in hell or you can go to heaven. And if you just pray this prayer, you can go to heaven. That's not a hard sell. Let me think about that. Hmm, I could burn in hell. So what you saying? I could burn in hell. I could just pray this little prayer. Okay, I'll pray the little prayer. Okay, let me help you. I'm going to help you and I'm going to say something bold. And then you can go home and look through your Bible. There is no sinner's prayer in your Bible. There's not. Go look. There's not one time where Jesus said, bow your head. Now repeat after me. Dear Jesus, you are Lord. And I'm not. Like there's no sin. There's no place where the apostle Paul or any other apostle or any other disciple said, oh, you want to come to Jesus? Well, just bow your head and repeat after me. And I'm not against the prayer. I'm not. I just want you to understand the prayer doesn't save you. And that's the problem I have is we made it like, well, if you just say these magic words and you get to go to heaven. And I think that's why Jesus said there'll be people on that day said, Lord, Lord. And he's like, I didn't know you. I don't know you. Sorry. But I prayed a prayer. Oh, okay. I didn't realize there was one. I love it when I start trampling all over holy, sacred, cow, religious things. It's like my favorite thing to do. Because some of you right now are composing a very nasty email to me. And I need to let you know, I'm not going to read it. Because I don't care. Because I read the Bible. And there's no sinner's prayer in there. (laughs) It's kind of like people say, you know, word of God says, God works in mysterious ways. It doesn't actually say that's nowhere in the Bible. Well, God, you know, it says God will help those who help themselves. No, no. Well, you know, it says practice hard, pray hard. Uh, No, that's what your coach said, but it's not in the Bible. Your coach may have been a Christian, but that's not actually in the Bible. And so here's the thing. Here's the thing. You know what saves us is belief in our heart that starts a transformation of our life. In fact, Romans 9, 9, or Romans 10, 9 and 10 It says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and watch this and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you're saved. Watch for sin for it's by believing in your heart. It's faith that makes you right with God, not a prayer. And here's why that's important, because as a man believes or thinks in his heart, so he becomes. In other words, I cannot have faith in my heart that Jesus is Lord without seeing fruit and change on the outside. What you see in the New Testament is not a sinner's prayer. You see people professing faith in Jesus, being baptized because that's everyone's next step, and then following him with all of their heart. 
You, you, don't, you don't see a sinner's prayer where then, well, I prayed the prayer and, and I'm going to go back to, to just, you know, living my life now, but I'm a believer and put a fish on my car. And when I have a bad day, I'm going to listen to Hillsong because there's that song that just gives me the willies and the chills and all those things. I'm sorry. Like, Jesus is not an additive to your life to make you feel better. He is the only reason that you're alive. Do you see what I'm saying? And so that's what Jesus is saying. Hey, if you're going to follow me, it's, it's not a once-in-a-lifetime decision. It's an everyday commitment. And you got to get there. you got to become an everyday follower. And that's what Paul is confident about with the Philippians. He's like, I know, I know God, and God's going to keep working, but I also know you, and you're going to keep growing. You're everyday believers. That's what I think about you. Like, I hope I'm ruffling some feathers, but I believe in you, and I believe that you can be everyday and that you are everyday believers. Now, here's the question for this weekend, because it's baptism weekend, and the question is, is baptism your next step? Everyone has a next step to take, and, and my prayer for you is even if you're not taking baptism as your next step or you've already been baptized, and there are a lot of people who have been baptized. I had a lady last week who asked me, she said, I've been baptized. Do I need to be baptized again? And I said, you don't need to be baptized to belong to this church. Like, if you've been baptized... And, and you're good, and God's good, then we're good. You know, I mean, it's, this is about your relationship with Jesus, not about doing anything for us. Like, we don't, you don't need to be baptized for me or this church. That's what I'm trying to say. And, but she kind of alluded to what, what we hear a lot. Well, I was baptized when I was really small, and I didn't really know what it meant. And then I kind of lived this life where it was all about me. And now I'm wondering, now that I've really come to faith in Jesus, should I be baptized again? And I'm like, here's, here's, here's how you know. If God tells you, like, I don't know that I can tell you, but I think the Holy Spirit can lead you. And, and if the Holy Spirit's leading you to be baptized, you can be baptized many times. You know, we, I remember one in the very beginning of the church, we had a man in the church that got saved every week for six months. Like every, like, it's like, oh, it's him again. He's getting saved again. And, and, and they're like, do, do we count that as a salvation? No, no, we're only going to count it once. But let him keep coming to the front because <laughs> God's working in his life. Like he can get saved every day for the next 30 years as far as I'm concerned because God's still working on him. You understand what I'm saying? And so, so, no, you don't need to be baptized for us. And I know some people say, well, I was, I was baptized in a church when I was a baby and maybe they sprinkled water. And here's the thing, nothing against that experience. Praise God for that. But let me be honest, that was probably more about your parents' faith than your faith. And baptism is more about our faith. And you were a baby and you didn't know what was going on. It's a beautiful, wonderful thing. And I'm so glad that your parents had that kind of commitment and faith in Jesus. But maybe you need to make a profession of your faith. Maybe, maybe you need to take a next step because of your faith. And, and people have asked, now, why do we baptize the way we baptize? And let me just, if you get baptized with us, it's immersion, meaning you go all the way under the water. Now, don't freak out. We've never lost anybody. <laughs> like, we don't even have medics on hand. I mean, we have some, some medical professionals, but we don't have medics or an ambulance because we've never lost anybody in that tank. It's even clear water. We can fish you out if we need to. If you get away from the guy baptizing you, we'll fish you out. So we've never lost anybody, but, but we do it by immersion, and we do it in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, and the reason is because Jesus was baptized by immersion, and then he told his disciples, I want you to go and baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
Of course, I did have this weird thought. When John baptized Jesus, what did he say? Like, in the name of your father, you, and your best friend. You know, it's like, <laughs> like what do you say when you're baptizing Jesus? So um, <laughs> just pray for me. I'm not there yet. Anyways, that was ADD. Back to the message. And so here, here's the thing. Is, so that's, that's, the way that, that's the way that we... We baptize, and I know people are like, oh, I don't want to get wet, and, and oh, like my makeup's going to get all messed up, and my hair, and we're going to go eat after the service. And, but here's what I know about you. I know that you understand that Jesus was crucified naked for you, and it's okay if you mess your hair up for him. That's what I know, you know, and, 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 and I believe that. And, and, so, and so is baptism your next step? Remember what I said. Remember what I said. And let me tell you one of the reasons why, and I can't tell you every reason why I think we're baptized. I can tell you for me, as I've studied this, I've learned that baptism is not just an act to display faith. It's actually a spiritual transformation that takes place in the water. There's, there's like this transformation. Let me, let me show you what I mean. Jesus says to Nicodemus in John 3, verse 3, it says, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Watch this. Unless you are born again, watch, you cannot see. Everybody say see. See the kingdom. Now, the kingdom of God is here. Jesus brought it with him, and he left it with us. Right? The kingdom of God is here. We are citizens of the kingdom who are living in the earth. He said, you can't see the kingdom unless you're born again. And Nicodemus, you know, he's like trying to figure this out. And he says, how, how can a man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Like, biologically, this seems really awkward. And Jesus replied, I assure you, watch this, no one can enter the kingdom of God, watch this, without being born of water and spirit. Here's what Jesus is saying. You want to see me more clearly so you can follow me more closely? Be born of water and spirit. Like I think the reason some people get stuck is because they got saved, but they didn't take their next step of water baptism. And Paul says that water baptism is like a circumcision of the heart. In other words, our heart has eyes, and God cuts the flesh away so we can see better. And so it's actually a spiritual, like I go into the water, and, and there's stuff that stays in the water. And I come up with a clearer vision where I can see God and see his kingdom and see Jesus. And if I can see him more clearly, I can follow him more closely. Let me show you one more scripture because I really felt this for today. I felt like this was a word. It's in 1 Peter, 1 Peter 3.21. Peter's actually talking about the ark and the flood and all this, but he says, and this water symbolizes baptism. So now we're talking about baptism. That now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from your body. In other words, it's not about taking a bath. But the pledge, watch this, the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus. Now, here's the thing. The blood of Jesus saves me. It washes away all sin. But what Peter says is the water baptism tank is something you can point to that, hey, that's where I died. That's where I left it in the water. That's where God did something. And now because of that, I got a clean slate with God. I now, I now relate to him through a clean conscience. I have a, a clean slate. And so is baptism your next step? I don't know. I think God knows, and I think some of you know. And, and what I know is that if it is, there's something spiritual that happens as God transforms you in the water, and he allows you to see more clearly, and he gives you a clean slate with him, cleanses our conscience, right, so that we can relate to him in a new way. And that's one of the things when we talk to people about their baptism testimony, one of the things we always see is, man, now I see more clearly. Now, now I, I, I feel closer to him. I communicate with him. 
And so I don't know baptism your next step, but here's why I'd say don't rule it out until we've had a chance just to ask God about it. And so why don't you stand with me today and, and we're just going to ask God about what our next step is. And, and here's what I, I would say is if we ask God, and, and for many of you probably it's, it's not going to be your next step. In other words, you're not going to feel that prompting that this is my next step. And that's okay. Maybe you've already been baptized and that's fantastic. But the question then becomes, so what is your next step? Because I'd love for everybody, I want everybody to take a next step, this, especially this fall. I mean, you can take more than one, but if everybody would just take one step this fall, our whole church would go deeper, deeper in, in what God's called us to be. And so will you bow your heads with me? And, and I want us just to take a moment. And God, I pray that you would speak clearly to us.